Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations, along with talking about the latest episode of Succession. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert-Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Before we get to dinner party, before we get to Succession chat, we've got two brand new things to talk about, Ali, Um, and they're like two of my favourite things, which is like cool, authored comedies. That's a really good way to summarise them, John. We've got Slip, which comes to us from the Roku channel in America, which it's. we'll get into it. I can't wait to get into the log line, but I'll leave it there. Slip and Buckus, which is Pete Davidson's semi-autobiographical memoir on screen. So, yeah, and both have all episodes now streaming, so binge away. Awesome. Well, let's head to a basement in Staten Island for Bobkus. Is that Pete Davidson? Wanted to spend a little time with my grandson. That's what it's all about. You're not supposed to smoke here. What are you, a forest ranger? Peter! Mom? Does Dave know you have his Klingon sword? It's a glaive, and no, he doesn't. Written by and starring Pete Davidson, the semi-autobiographical Bobkus is a fictionalised version of the SNL star's life, featuring Edie Falco as his mother, Joe Pesci as his grandfather, along with a cavalcade of celebrity cameos. Ali, I've seen a lot of reviews compare this one to Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a great reference, and if that interests you, then definitely. The show that it made me think more of is Dave, which is a, another show mm-hmm. that we have on Binge. Um, a show we don't have on Binge, but a show that I was getting real tinges of was Rami. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've watched that one either, but also just this like very singular voice, semi-autobiographical, really funny, almost like slapstick funny at times, but then also very quite serious and reflective. Yep. So there's been quite a few mixed reviews on this one, but I'm, I think, how many episodes are there? Eight or nine? Eight. eight. I think yeah. I'm seven into the eight and I have kind of gallop through these and I think as you said it goes from being a bit entourage bro at some points in time because you're effectively following Pete Davidson's life and some of his friends and kind of hangers on as in his world so there are some episodes that are a bit like what's Pete's adventure tonight what's he up to but then it does swing into these quite poignant themes and and episodes where you know that he's really trying to say a lot about his life and and bigger things and I think the episodes do mix between some of that bro comedy and and more obvious comedy and then into some, yeah, some broader messages. One episode was like a mini Fast and Furious. One was the opening scene was hilarious. It's got real shade to it and, and, and variance. So I'm really liking this. Yeah, I think when someone like Pete Davidson, I want to say like quote Pete, like it's Pete Davidson playing quote Pete Davidson. It's not exactly him, but it's basically him. When someone like that has such a reputation and such a like, vibe and like they're almost the butt of jokes in real life I think what these shows do really well is scratch just a little bit under the surface and you start to understand how they got to where they are and Pete Davidson like famously has quite a sort of tragic backstory and that his his father died on 9-11 and his mother raised him as a single mom and all these things it just does such a good job of being like this one note guy who you might just think of as being someone's boyfriend or some guy on SNL, like there's more to him. And I think this does a very good job. Of that. I agree. Because if you think about the headlines and like, I like that scene where he kind of Googles himself and he's talking about his goggle eyes and 
this guy's not hot enough to have all these celebrity girlfriends. And like, if it was the other way around and the internet was heaping on a famous celebrity woman, which they do all the time, like where the internet heaps on Kim Kardashian and stuff. But like, it was just really interesting seeing his way of assessing that without kind of saying it hurts him, but it clearly isn't having an impact on his choices and how he's living his life. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think the contradiction of like being this wealthy, successful star, but then also living in your mother's basement and having the press basically like slut shame you, but also like body shame you for how Mm. you look. And like, you know, in real life, Pete Davidson's had his own mental health issues and you can like, it's just such an interesting contradiction because the show goes from total gross out comedy. <laughs> if, if the first four minutes turn you off, I would like, please say, just like, how stick about with the that. grandfather, like, the prostitute scene? I loved that. That was yes. hilarious. There are yes. so many good people like, in this show as well. Yes. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm jumping ahead. I'm cutting that. in on you. I'm no, sorry. no, no. The perfect, perfect segue because I wanted to list down some of the guest stars because I think one of the reasons people are comparing this Curb Your Enthusiasm is just like the real life celebrities that come in. But and I out think of this. that's only really where it feels like that. I think if you like Curb, you like yes. Bobcus, but tonally, I wouldn't say they're super yeah. similar. But a lot of guest stars, some of them playing themselves, some of them playing just characters in the show but you've got Bobby Cannavale, Ray Romano, Charlie Day, Sebastian Stan, John Stewart, Al mm-hmm. Gore, like former Vice President Al Gore, J.J. Abrams, John Mulaney, Steve Buscemi, Machine Gun Kelly, Jane Curtin, like such a like a eclectic mix of people that he's like roped in to play you know the priest at the church or he's like grandmother or like and there's a just lots of little easter uncle, eggs like, like there's one scene I think Nurse Jackie's playing in the background which is what's on the tv at the time which <laughs> yeah. is just I think He's like staying in some trailer or motel when he's on on set or whatever, and that's just you know such a little insight and non to Eddie Falcon. So, so I I just think it's clever. I think he's got a lot to say, but it has yeah. been mixed in the reviews of it. It's been I feel like it's been quite harshly judged. I don't know what what do you think about the criticism of it? I was really pleasantly surprised watching it because I really only. Like I know Pete Davidson from SNL and I know him from the tabloids, I know obviously. Him from the and I don't <laughs> Yeah. I've never had a strong positive or negative opinion about him. He was just kind of this like caricature-y guy who's living this interesting life. But I went into this thinking it was gonna be probably way broader than it is. And I think the first like three or four minutes of it, I thought this is gonna be the entire yeah. show. And then it does really interesting things. About the wedding at the end of the wedding episode, and then you see him as an actual kid, and you realize how real life. Yeah, been. I think the show takes some swings, and I also just think uh, Pete Davidson is young as a person, but he's been working like he's been on SNL. I think since he was nineteen, he's made movies and shows, and, and that's the entourage has, vibe like, to it because he's kind of growing up in the yeah. world not, and like kind of getting and also being the breadwinner to his family, and, but like and, enjoying benefits of it, and yeah, yeah, that's what I meant with the entourage thing. Yeah. I think he brings a lot to it. Like it's got Lorne Michaels and Broadway video behind it. Like these are the same people, these the same people that made Dirty Rock. Give it a go. Make your own mind up, don't you reckon? Yeah. And we haven't even mentioned Academy Award winner, Joe Pesci's. I read this is the first TV role he's done in 37 years. The last last time he was on a regular, a regular on a TV show was in 1985. Watch it for Joe Pesci, if nothing else, he's also great. And if you don't like it, don't watch it. But I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it is a perfect little binge. And as you said, all episodes of Bob Kiss are streaming right now on Binge. You run around like a kid and you're not a kid anymore. You're a man. Ow! You know, I think I turned out okay, right? Oh, you live with your mom. Hey, she lives with me, okay? Like, I pay the mortgage. Written by, directed, and starring Zoe Lister-Jones, the new comedy series Slip follows one woman's travels through a multiverse of partners in search of her way back 
harm. I didn't want to wake up this morning. I just always feel like being asleep. Like life is a dream. Love you. Love you. Where nothing really happens. Yeah, um, I was just asking how you're doing as like more of a courtesy. Oh, right. Ali, I am too awkward to actually explain what the Do show I is have to give the real So that is why one. I just danced around it in the opening. Would you like to explain to our audiences what Slip is all about? The Slip is one woman's journey through multiverses, like you say, but the portal that makes her slip through time is uh, effectively her vagina. Well, an orgasm seems to be the thing that triggers the time slip. So she'll, she'll wake up post-sex um, and she'll be in the next part of the multiverse, won't she? So... I'm loving this show. It is so consumable, so bingeable. It feels fresh the way it's shot. Everything about this, I was like, this is new. I'm liking it. Different people on screen. I'm loving Slip. Yeah. When I was writing the intro, I was like, this sci-fi comedy. And I was like, no, like that's <laughs> like, it, it, like technically it is a sci-fi comedy. But it I doesn't guess. feel like, like that at all. She's this beautifully put together woman who has this gorgeous husband and they live in this beautiful flat and she's an art curator and he's an author. You know, they've got their coffee runs and their salad bowls and everything, but she's like unhappy and restless. And then she has this encounter and then wakes up the next day in somebody else's life and then it makes her question everything, thinks she's going a bit insane. But it's such an interesting and simple way to explore, like, relationships and happiness and being in the yeah. moment and, like, all these other things that dramas and sci-fi and rom-coms all try to do. But it's taking it at this, like, such different angle that it's, yeah, it's so refreshing. It's, like, visually feels fresh. The story feels fresh. The characters are great. Everyone's very good looking. I think you've <laughs> knocked it on the head exactly there when you were saying, like, this is almost... The world she gets dropped in, it's not like a time travels wife where she rocks up naked and has to, like, fight for her survival. The places and the worlds that she's slipping in all seem like realistic variations of how her life could have gone. So you're actually almost playing out the anxiety or the or the thoughts that might be in her brain about, did I do the right thing? Did I marry the right person? How my life would be easier if I had a different job? Like It's almost like the thoughts that people have in modern society played out through the, her alternate sliding door moments of who so like yeah who she, who she's almost learning that lesson yeah. through through the each time slip but it's it's not yeah. sci-fi i think sliding doors is a good reference because she doesn't wake up in another planet where like aliens are or anything she just wakes up like maybe having married a different guy or having a different, a different job version or, of her or life. taking a different point yeah. in her life yeah and her and her husband in the beginning are like, talking about having a child and they've been together for a while and it seems to be a bit of a uh, you know something they're not aligned on but in some of the slips she's a mum it's like a journey through the grass is greener life lessons the first slip that she goes into it's like she's going to the met gala she's like surrounded by fame she was she's like on in the daily mail for hanging out with tom hanks and it's like but there's still emptiness in her actual relationship and yeah i just think so many shows try to give you like morality tales or life lessons bangs it over your head and you just want to roll your eyes but this is just such a like an interesting way agree to and it's like it just feels like a fresh set of storytellers this is dakota yeah. johnson's production company that this has come yeah. from yeah. but it just it just felt intellectual and fresh in its voice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I just I was like, I haven't seen something like this for a while and I just wanted to watch it and I just kept watching, watching, yeah. watching. I feel like 10 years ago this would have been like a cool indie film yeah, that like did the festival point. circuit or something. And now, thankfully, it's a TV show that we all get to watch. <laughs> John, we're talking about lots of fresh voices, but Zoe Lister-Jones is a big part of that, isn't it? Did you say she wrote this and stars? 
She wrote it, she directed it, and she stars in it. She's a multi-hyphenate. Triple threat. Love it. Yes, yes. And she's, uh, yeah, like we said, a a very authored show in that she clearly had her hands all over it. And I think that's why I think it feels so fresh. What's so, like, refreshing and sort of, I think there is, like, a wish fulfillment aspect of this show is that you kind of do wish you would sometimes wake up and just be able to experience a different life for a little bit. Although maybe with the option of, you know, somehow getting home if you and and we should say there's one kind of continuing character that's kind of like in between her worlds and that's her best friend whose life is changing in each version of her life but she's the only person like when she looks at her phone Jean is the one that you know is kind of almost keeping her sane because I would have done exactly what she did in that first episode where she starts to google schizophrenia and like multiple personality yeah. disorders on like you'd actually think you're you going insane you'd be like yeah. oh my god why am I married to someone I don't know like it was Maybe she's having a breakdown. We'll find out if she ever makes love back to her husband. <laughs> that is the trick with the show. You have to make love to, to transition. <laughs> uh, so on that note, all episodes of Slip Season 1 are streaming for you now on Binge. So uh, add it to your watch list. I slept with this super hot man. Had just met him, woke up the next day, married to him. Don't forget we have our thing for the Met Bowl today. The theme. It's trash. Oh, that's cool. I'm being transported to other dimensions every time I orgasm. Damn, that's goals. John, there's so many new shows coming out at the moment. What are your other hot tips on binge this week? Dinner party recommendations, things we should be watching now that it's cold and we're on the sofa. So a show that I could spend 45 minutes talking about, but I will try to condense it to 45 Mm -hmm. seconds, is one that I have been fighting to get on binge for a few years now. And I'm very excited that we finally have all episodes of The Other Two. So for people that aren't familiar, this show started in 2019. Uh, It moved networks around in the US a bit, so it kind of got lost. But it's back for a third season. Speaking of Bobkus, it's created by two SNL head writers, uh, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, um, and also stars the wonderful Molly Shannon. And if you like hacks, if you like Broad City, if you like 30 Rock, you will absolutely love this show. The premise is basically the other two are the two older siblings of this uh, sort of young teenager who like blows up overnight in a online in like a Justin Bieber sort of way. And they've been working their whole careers as like actors and dancers trying to crawl their way up the creative industry. And then their like younger brother just like accidentally <laughs> falls into this overnight global fame um, and they're left in his shadow as they see him just succeed and grow it is just exceedingly funny we talk about so many comedies these days that are like comedy-esque or like on the borderline of comedy but a more dramedy and I, I really miss the days of like laugh out loud high joke mm-hmm. per minute sitcoms like 30 Rock, and that's absolutely what the other two is. Basically every review compares it to 30 yeah. Rock at some point and yeah it's just yeah, it's it's amazing. Well, on behalf of all the other two fans in the world and in Australia particularly, I just want to say thank you, John. I love how you have shows that you crusade and campaign and over our many years working together. There are too many to mention, but well done. And this show deserves its moment, doesn't it? Like, And you always talk yeah. about loving having a sitcom on the go. So, you know, you've got lots of episodes. And because we've just picked up season three premiering, there's two extra seasons for you to get into on this as well, isn't there? So, yeah. So, season one and two are both 10 eps. So, there's t- already 20 eps sitting there for you. And season three 
just premiered with a double episode premise. So you've got two episodes there, but it's another 10 episode season. So uh, there's going to be 30 episodes of the other two for you to watch. And yeah, if you like Hacks, if you like 30 Rock, if you like yes, SNL. Yes, yes, yes. I like all those things. If you want to laugh, um, please, please, please check out the other two. Awesome recommendation. Hey, I've got two quick ones. The first one's a film because I always we're always looking for a good weekend movie. Confess Fletch, which is the 2022 reimagining of the infamous Fletch movies. We also have the original Fletch and Fletch Lives starring the amazing, of course, Chevy Chase, but John Hamm from Mad Men, of course. It was in lots of film critics' top tens last year. If you missed it at the cinema, highly recommend streaming now and you can go back to 1985 and 1989 and enjoy the other two. And the other one, I just wanted to give a quick shout out because it's having another little moment in the sun. A well-deserved audience has picked up Mr. In-Between. There's been lots of TikToking and <laughs> lots of snippets going out in America, which has made its way to Australia. And we're seeing a whole new group of people come in and discover this show, which as we've talked about on this podcast before, is one of my favourite Australian series of all time. There's three seasons to watch. It was a Foxtel original and an FX co-production with the FX um, cable channel in America um, over many years and is just genuinely a great examination of humanity and motivation and mixed morals and complicated characters but funny and fresh and honest in its voice as well. So three seasons of Mr. Inbetween, jump on board if you've been seeing this pop up in the last week or two. Um, maybe that explains it. One of the joys of this job is like seeing something just organically like take off like this and then just realize that these things just go viral, like legitimately go viral. And the next thing you know, you've just got all these people watching this show that's, yeah, just didn't have its. And we found this during COVID because the final season came out, I think, when Binge was only a year or so old. It was probably 2021, looking back now, John, wasn't it? It wasn't last year. And it had its final yeah. and we, we had it on Binge and. I just remember how many people signed up for it at the time and were watching it. And again, it was kind of finding an audience again. And here we are two years later. Um, this show deserves it. It deserves, you know, hero status in Australian television. And if you haven't watched Mr. Inbetween, you got to get on board. My boy Squiggle cooked up this beat for me. Kurt just called me soy boy. You lack killer instinct. You're wet, you're green, you're intellectually insecure. And I'm proud of my family. Your principles? Succession. Let's go. <laughs> I love this episode. I love this episode. We're starting to notice a little bit of a trend, we think, with Succession. We're, we're watching the episodes with, with the rest of the world, so we don't have um, any secret information, but we are starting to pick up on the idea that a lot of these episodes are taking place in quite confined moments in time. And not only are the episodes quite confined, but they are taking place almost in immediate succession from one another. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pun intended, uh, they're taking place like right after one another. So Tailgate Party, which is season four, episode seven that we're talking about today, is taking place on election eve. Logan Roy's body is still warm. Not on the ground. On the or ground the yet. Air, but it's, yep. They still haven't had the funeral and we still don't know who owns Waystar Roco. <laughs> yeah, this episode takes place on election eve. There are some big Tom and Shiv revelations. Connor is finally getting his very brief potential no, political power moment in, in the sun. It's going to be big next episode. Okay, okay. President Connor. And the other, with this, a lot of things going on, but the other big thing is Matson's 
facade and sort of swagger and power maybe is starting to uh, melt a little bit. So we're episode seven. We've got three to go after this. And can I just quickly give you my headlines of why I love this episode so much? We've been talking about um, what's really going on with Shiv and Tom. They've had this kind of dance the last few weeks. Like, are they really not going to talk about what's happening? Did they ever really love each other? There is this like accelerator moment isn't there where so much emotion and so much is covered in a brilliant scene um on a balcony of a beautiful apartment somewhere over new york so i love that we really move the story along and we get some insight into these characters and what they're feeling um in tom and shiv and just again a brilliantly acted scene number two there's some really big developments with the family and the kids shiv effectively shows her hand that she's prepared to knife her brothers that was brilliant because you kind of really saw actually the boys are sticking together they're completely trusting her and she's now flipping the coin on them and she's prepared to blow up her family for power so a ruthlessness in her which I thought was just brilliant number three as you said it's really brilliant the story bringing the story along on what's happening to this company. This is where I feel like the kids, if they were one person, they'd be a good Logan. Sometimes they're ruthless. Sometimes they've got really good instincts, but they're not loyal and never have it together all at once. But Kendall's kind of gut that maybe this isn't the right deal is is beginning to unravel, isn't it? There's some really interesting stuff that happens here. Yeah. So we've always like, what's Connor's role? Is he like the deciding, he gets like a, he's like he's got a dummy vote, but it doesn't actually direct the traffic. Maybe this man will end up dummy run at presidency and whatever percentage of the vote he gets might end up having an impact like his vote does on the board. Well, he's got his con heads um, out out in the world um, supporting him. But, yeah, this is like Connor running for president was such like an actual joke in early the earlier parts of the show. It was mm-hmm. comical. Like, and now he's thrown all this money at it. He is now getting high enough percentage polls that he's actually got the real presidential candidates basically trying to woo him to drop out on the night before the election just to save them the potential of Connor being like the deciding vote in who becomes president. They don't have basically. the same system as us. They don't have kind of preferential, like the way no. when you vote and then it flows. They don't kind of organise themselves to have those preferences, do they? So I was watching this going like this could be like 2010 with, you know, when um, Julie Gillard and Tony Abbott were going head to head and there were those three independents that basically held the country at ransom. I genuinely think yeah. Connor's going to be this kind of role that might, yeah, hold the world to ransom. Yeah, the show has always implied the, like, power that ATN has in the American democracy and politics, and that's why they're surround- That's why they've got 40 of the most important people in America in their apartment for this party. I don't think we've ever seen it actually play out and they've always alluded to elections and like, you know, Logan was going to choose who the next president was going to be and all these things. And now we're actually the <laughs> night before the election. And it's like, how in God's name is Connor now in the center of all this? So yeah, this is a storyline that I've been very excited to see how it plays out. The fight between Tom and Shiv was just unbelievable. And his final insult about having a baby and I still think she's pregnant or I don't know, but like, oh my God, that's such a good episode. If you think Connor's going to change destiny for America, (laughs) the moment in this that made me go, ooh, maybe this person is going to like have more power than I thought was Jerry. Mm. So there is a Roman Jerry moment in this episode where we're still under the impression Roman has fired Jerry, although Roman sort of maybe tries to back out of it, where we see Jerry 
like really turn on Roman lawyers at 10 paces kind of thing and be like, I'm going to take you for hundreds of millions of dollars and you're not going to hurt my reputation because guess what? I've got a phone full of dick pics that you've sent me. And I'm just like, actually, like Jerry could bring this whole company down with the information she has because like Jerry's been the sensible woman in the room the whole time. Yeah who's been beaten around by all these Roy's, she would arguably know more than yeah. anyone about and, the company because she's actually been doing the job. And Roman's lack of understanding because she says this brilliant line to him. And there are a couple of lines in this where I just laughed out loud. I'm like, this is so genius. But she makes this line. She goes, I would have landed this deal for you. Like she would have saved and turned yeah. around. You just go, you are just so exposed here, Roman, with a, yeah, a lack of understanding of how this really works. But interesting how close the brothers are being, but then a massive twist again at the end with well, a twist, but a revelation from Kendall where you realise that he also, what does he have, a line about there can only be one crown? I was like, oh, it's so yeah. good. And then the bit about the kids and his kids kind of getting it at school. Can we just quickly touch on the iPhone did we talk about this last week, the iPhone theory? No, I think we talked about this off oh, pod. The iPhone theory. So apparently, I don't know if this is true. I'm just repeating shit from the internet. But anyway, apparently Apple, we should bring our friends Apple. Apparently Apple won't, when you want to use their phone in a show or a film, when it's obvious that it's an Apple phone, they have to approve it. And they never let the baddie, I'm going to sound like a five-year-old, the, you know, the baddie have an Apple phone. And who is the only person in succession that has a Samsung or doesn't have an Apple? Uh, that would be Tom Wombat. That Wombs would scams. be Tom. I'm not sure any of the Roys are goodies, but they do all have they do all have iPhones. So, yeah, we'll just I'm put that sure. out there and let people stew. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the Tom and Shiv balcony moment is going to go down as like a, I think, well, we're going to see it a million times at the Emmys, but I think it's going to go down as one of those like amazing you've worked three seasons of character development to get two people to have this moment. It was like, yeah, it was, it was incredible watch, but also like I was taking quotes as it was happening, but it was just like, yeah, Scorpion, but like Tom saying, you've hurt me more than you could possibly imagine. And then Shiv saying you took away the last six months I could have had with my dad. Like, it's so easy just to have two characters yeah. argue. Like, that's great conflict. But, like, the lines that they were saying were, like, knives into yeah. each other's guts that they that had taken this long to get to, which is what just it was made so, it so powerful. powerful. And he's like, I'm so sorry you never got the respect or the endorsement or whatever from your dad that you needed. Like, it was just yeah. brilliant. I don't know how they recover from it, but I also won't be surprised if next episode opens with them, like, holding hands yeah, at ATN or something. Sorry, it's what it's was just... so funny about it was in this episode where she was basically plotting to go against her brothers, which would mean and also aligning with Matson that, you know, he might be out of it, that Tom might then lose his job. She was prepared to, like, yeah. knife her brother's put Tom under the bus again, but ultimately he was her buddy in this whole plan. Like she still was trusting him more because she's running and you're noticing yeah. how much interference and backstabbing she's running against her brothers and you just think, is Tom doing the same? Matson does feel like he's in trouble in this episode Emperor though. Has no clothes. Um, you really saw some you really saw some cracks in his like persona and his confidence. The episode then of course sort of ends with Kendall proposing to Frank, a, a, I think they call it a reverse Viking, <laughs> um, where basically Waystar would acquire Gojo, which is sort of back to where we were, I guess, at the beginning of all this. Yeah, I think next episode, if the sort of format of this season is anything to go by, I think we'll probably take place on election day, uh, which we know is the next day. And I'm guessing someone will become president and someone will acquire somebody. But 
only three apps left to go. We've got a we've got a few big things to deal with. John, I feel like there's so much to talk about. We could be talking about the writer's strike. There's more shows we need to probably wrap up today, but maybe we should talk a bit next week about we have just been up at the Gold Coast at Screen Forever meeting with all these wonderful creators, writers and producers about some cool ideas for the next lot of binge originals. Um, we've got LA screenings and the pilot season kind of coming up, don't we? And so there's, um, yeah, there's a lot happening in the business of TV too beyond just all the good stuff we're watching. So new episodes of Succession, of course, are released Mondays on Binge at 11am. And as we sadly mention every week, uh, we are thundering towards the finale, <laughs> which is out on May 29th. This week on Skip Intro, we discussed Bobkiss. We talked about Slip. I recommended that you check out the other two. Uh, and Ali suggested Confess Fletch and Mr. Inbetween as two very worthy dinner party recommendations. All of these are streaming for you now on Binge, which, of course, you can find on your favourite device. I'm John Bowen, joined every week by Ali Hope-Bones. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chrissy Yates. And we'll be back next week with more Skip Intro. Bye.